it will be tight times afterwards, but also it will be counteracted by the a, a desperation like I have of being social, doing, you know, just getting out and having access to what we haven't had access for months. So I think there'll be a pretty big honeymoon phase in terms of that. Um, but it, yeah, it's just what format of social interaction or what sort of format of a restaurant people are really going to be wanting after this is what we're going to think about. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Australia's culinary landscape is one of the richest on the planet. Not financially, it's rich in diversity, in quality and in character. But for operators, the industry has always been far from perfect. With average margins around 4%, it has been a real struggle to make a profit, let alone a living. As devastating as the COVID-19 pandemic is, has it placed the industry in a unique position to address the issues and create a new dawn for the industry? Michael Ryan is the owner of the Provenance Restaurant and Accommodation in Beechworth, Victoria. He's not only one of Australia's most influential chefs and restaurateurs, he's also one of the sharpest minds too. Michael, how are you going? Yeah, good. Good today. You're in a regional area and you've, you've got an award-winning restaurant. Um, what has been the impact on you? Um, well, obviously, it's, it's the same impact as everybody else where you know, went from one day of having a business to the next day of essentially not having a business, having no income, having to let all our staff go or put them on stand down. Um, and so, yeah, like a, straight after the very first day when we were told that restaurants need to be closed, um, there was a lot of, a lot of uh, talk about what, you should be doing, whether you should be doing takeaway or what model you can look at. And I certainly for me, I thought it was probably a bit early. I didn't want to, A, invest any money in, you know, because moving to takeaway is quite a different uh, model for your business. You need lots of other uh, parts and lots of other um, stuff to buy to run as a takeaway. So I didn't want to invest in money that I wasn't sure was going to work. And also, I'm in a town of three and a half thousand people with a, you know, a number of eating places anyway. So the idea of transitioning to a takeaway venue was pretty unlikely to work, I thought. So, so essentially, uh, I mean, it also gave me time to freak out and, and uh, you know, pause and have a little mini breakdown afterwards just because, you know, there's nothing you could really do. So, But I think it was, in hindsight, it was good to actually not do anything for one or two weeks afterwards. So what has life been like for you in this this period? Um, obviously, it's harder for an operator like you to do takeaway. Um, what What is this situation? Well, you know, it, in terms of uh, apocalypse, it's a, it's a pretty luxurious apocalypse, really, <laughs> in terms of like, you know, we're still eating well, we're still drinking well, we're, we're not in any physical danger, we're not generally in any, you know, personal danger or health danger for most of us. Um, what's obviously missing is our, our work life and for most people, certainly for me anyway, our, our work certainly divine, uh, defines our, our person to a great extent. So having that sort of pulled away makes you think about what you're going to do. I mean, for, for us it was just 
just happened to be at the time that it was a very, very late season for the sauce tomatoes this year, and we always make sugo, not so much for my restaurant, I don't tend to use that much, but just for personal use. And it was a very late um, sauce tomato season, so they all came in after the restaurant closed down, so I just got like two, three hundred kilo of tomatoes and made a huge amount of sugo and put it in bottles. And, and then that sort of got me thinking, well, maybe I should just sell this sugo. And then from there I thought, well, maybe I can make other stuff. So I went out and got lots of pine mushrooms and preserved those. And, and it sort of led on to this dinky little grocery store I got on my website, which, you know, it's not going to make any sort of real dollar, but it's sort of kicking off the streets. And now that we've JobKeeper, you know, we'll have some staff back on so I can look at um, ramping that up a bit more. And also, I mean, it's all stuff I can use when we reopen. So. Some some of the people that we've had on the show have spoken of the um, difficult times leading up to the pandemic in the industry, and the industry is renowned for low profit margins anyway. Can you sort of paint a picture being in a regional town, what the last year has been like? before the whole pandemic kicked off? Yeah, I reckon, I reckon I could probably, I could almost pick a point probably two years ago when things took a, took a bit of a downturn and then, and I, you know, initially you think maybe it's you or maybe it's, and the town itself, Beechworth, wasn't as busy as it had been. And then, you know, there's lots of other competition as well. Um, certainly in the area, Bright's a really, really vibrant town now and, then in terms of regional Victoria, I mean, there's just so many good places to go into regional Victoria. So there's a lot of competition. So initially that was our thought. But then talking to a lot of other people in, you know, uh, restaurateurs and chefs in Melbourne and Sydney, everybody was feeling a, a, a bit of a downturn. Obviously there's outliers within that and people who are doing really well. But in general, there seemed to be a bit of a, you know, there was talk of, you know, a recession coming. There's always talk of a recession coming. And it was, you know, a, a slow time. It was a bit of a slower time. And then the end of last year, we actually started to look pretty good. January was looking good. Um, and we're, uh, you know, obviously we're kind of the inverse of city restaurants where Christmas and New Year's are quiet times for them. They're our peak times. And same with Easter, our peak times. So um, it was looking pretty good for January. We, you know, there was a lot of talk about what the fire season was going to be like and it did look like it was going to be a bit of a shitty one and it turned out, yeah, it was. Um, I mean, we've been through, we opened up in oh, December 08 and then the, uh, the big fires hit in 09, in February 09, first early February 09, so we'd only been open a couple of months. And that was a huge impact. So we kind of knew what impact the bushfires could have. And, and back then, the 09 fires didn't actually impact Beechworth. It happened to, unfortunately, start in Beechworth and head out. So it was called the Beechworth Complex, which was pretty damaging to the area. But um, also the smoke and just the general fear that it creates is quite a big impact. So, yeah, when the fires hit here uh, early this year, we basically I spent a day just cancelling bookings for both the accommodation and the restaurant so yeah that was pretty grim um but because it was i mean i know the fires obviously were huge and affected the huge parts of australia they were also 
kind of localised so that there was a whole pile of support from the rest of Australia. So people who weren't, you know, experiencing those issues were um, really helpful. But in this current crisis, everybody is experiencing the um, the same issues. So you know, it's quite a different outcome, really. Can you run us through some of those issues? I mean, obviously, beyond the closure of establishments and, you know, having forced into sort of pivoting into doing other business models, you know, what's some of the issues that the industry faces right at this moment? Um, obviously, I mean, the big thing is your, your mortgage or your rent because, you know, that's a, a big chunk of your, your outgoings. And if you don't have any incoming, then obviously there's just no way of, Paying or, or supporting those those debts, so um, we we still haven't heard from our landlord. Everybody seems to be sort of waiting for some sort of outcome, but uh, it's yeah, it's um, if we say we didn't have to pay rent, then and with the job keeper and with the small little bits of money we're making from the store and stuff, and I'm doing one day of kind of takeaway food for the local community, like small volumes, like 40 stores and stuff like that, but that's being received really well. So with those sort of small takings, we'd, you know, whether this, fine, um, but it does all hinge on the, the lease, really, so still waiting to hear on that one. You've always been uh, quite vocal about some of the issues in the industry, and I wonder, before we look at what's to come, and what the future might look like. Could you paint a picture of maybe some of the issues in the hospitality industry that is perhaps we could address moving forward? Uh, it, it's it's such a hard one to sort of nut out and work out exactly what we can do or what we should do. I mean, the, the reason why the industry is such a, um, a tough industry is because, I don't know, maybe, I, I, I don't think cooking, it sounds weird, I don't think it's valued to the same level as other, well, essentially it's a trade, it's not valued to the level of other trades, possibly because, I don't know, people always think they can, you know, it's just, you're just cooking a meal. Well, most people don't understand the complexity behind a, creating a, a meal for a, a restaurant. I, I still get people who are surprised that we come in at nine o'clock in the morning to start prep for dinner service you know they don't un seem to understand that the, the labor involved in producing food not that they need to understand really but um, yeah and certainly compared to other trades it's not valued to the same level and I think that's partly I mean it's in terms of a business model it's, it's got a very low barriers to entry anybody can open a, a food venue really um, they tend to be pretty small firms and there's a lot of competition. So it sort of, that kind of leads to one point of kind of often lowest common denominator in terms of costing and return, I guess. So how, how you readdress it, I, I don't know because it's such a market-driven thing and there's always talk about, you know, people in the restaurant industry. I've noticed a few articles since the crisis began saying that, you know, we need to start charging what food is really worth and all that but it's such a market driven 
um, business model that I don't know how you could choose to be that kind of outlier to you know, suggest that this is what I'm going to charge and if somebody else is charging less, then I'm not sure how long it'll last. So I don't know. I, I'm really at a loss, but we still have quite a few months to think about which way to go, I guess. And do you think that time to think could be beneficial? I noticed on Twitter the other day that you said that something along the lines of does anyone sort of think that the lockdown is the easier part you know, as compared to what the rebuild is going to be? Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, in terms of a a, a, a societal breakdown, it's you know, it's, it's a pretty luxurious one in, ter- in terms of what we're actually physically going through. And with all the support we're getting now from the government, you know, it's not too difficult to work out how you're going to manage these next few months. I think once the restrictions are opened and then obviously those restrictions aren't going to be just suddenly stopped they'll be a kind of a gradual thing which is another issue in itself because if we have to go back to if they say that you know you can open your restaurants but you still need to keep some sort of social distancing criteria in your restaurants I mean we were doing that in the you know week or so before the full closure of restaurants and it was it's a completely unsustainable model really um so yeah but once we do reopen obviously the government can't keep supporting businesses forever so all of that support is going to start drying up so that's when you're kind of standing on your own two feet again obviously in a climate that's going to be somewhat or very depressed so yeah there's going to be a, a lot of challenges i think um you know in terms of business i think we'll obviously possibly be taking less than we did pre-COVID. So the only problem with that is that all the leases and all of those expenses are all set up for pre-COVID business model. And so, you know, I guess there's going to be have to be some changes through all of it, but I don't know who's going to give first, really. So how does the rebuild start that you're speaking of? Um, well, for us... We're thinking, I don't, I don't know. It's there's no doubt that within time, with time, the restaurant will build up again. Restaurants in general will build up again. We'll get back to a, a, a you know a model, uh, I guess something like what we had prior, but that will take quite a few years. I think in the initial years afterwards. I think I, I guess you've got to look at actually listening to um, Colin on your previous podcast talking about how it was during the recession i think it's probably a really good model to look at is what restaurants were doing during those you know financially tight times and just see how people managed in those times so you know whether you know long three four hour meals aren't necessarily the go during during that period not that you it's not something you won't work up to again but maybe initially we might want to look at something a bit more, I don't want to use the word casual, but a bit more, um, I don't know, less complex perhaps. I don't know. I say I don't know a lot because I, I just, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the phase that we're all in at the moment. 
The restaurant industry has a lot of peripheral things around it, uh, like restaurant critics, influencers, all of these different things that can impact online reviews. How do you see the future of that sort of those sort of things? Uh, well, I did write about that earlier. I think, obviously, with international travel being uh, inaccessible to a lot of people for quite some time, I think those global restaurant guides won't have as much of a well people won't need them I guess um, the whole influencer thing and unfortunately we don't get them up here that much it's too far away from to travel <laughs> out of a major city so you're, you're the lucky one <laughs> hopefully there's some sort of I mean they only exist because they're fed you know and so the industry does feed them so you know we're responsible for their creation so you know it's up to us if we don't want to use them really um, and as for the restaurant critics and so forth, I mean, obviously people's, like I said, you know, it will be tight times afterwards, but also it will be counteracted by the uh, a desperation like I have of being social, doing, you know, just getting out and having access to what we haven't had access for months. So I think there'll be a pretty big honeymoon phase in terms of that. Um, but, it, yeah, it's just what format of social interaction or what sort of format of a restaurant people are really going to be wanting after this is what we've got to think about. From a, a restaurant scene perspective, like what, what, what do you think we will see and what would you like to see sort of once we get through this pandemic? And I know it may take some time, but how, how would you like to see the Australian industry change? Um, look, I mean, ideally what, I mean, in a, perfect world, what you'd want is people to be, A, staff to be able to be paid well, you know, be paid, I mean, obviously paid correctly, but paid for the work they do, um, like every other chef or hospitality person. I've worked in businesses where you've done, you know, huge hours and, and for the last... 14 years I've had my own business where, you know, I work at as many hours as needed. But even in the last few years I've made a point of of cutting back my hours, you know, but also trying to manage our, our particularly our, our kitchen hours so that they're – I don't think anybody needs to work 70 or 80 hours a week to achieve the food that you want to achieve. And if you have to, then that food needs to be charged, priced accordingly. If it takes that much to produce that level of food, then you really got to got to pay for it. So, um, yeah, I, I think trying to create a work environment that's sustainable. Because I don't know why, for so many years, chefs particularly were willing to work the hours they do. I, I, I do know why. I mean, it's because. You know, they truly love the job, and that creates. There's a community involved, and so forth. But, but it does leave a big hole in terms of other aspects of your life. So, that I'd like to see changed. Um, and then, obviously, a, a greater profit margin would be fantastic. But all of that hangs on the fact that you'd have to charge more, a whole lot more, for the food that you're serving. So whether people are willing to accept that, particularly in a climate that's going to be, you know, quite depressed. So, um, 
Uh, I'm not coming up with too many answers here, but I just, yeah, I think initially uh, maybe 12 to 24 months, uh, what people are looking for is going to be um, kind of social aspect more than the food aspect, I guess, which is, you know, what restaurants are always about. But also I think pubs, people are really going <laughs> to, I certainly think people are missing pubs and realise what, what a part they played in their life. Um, and just that sort of, I mean, it's the most social of all the all the hospitality businesses, and I think um, I think they'll have a, a pretty good honeymoon, I would say. Yeah, I think we're all missing that sort of simple level of uh, connection, and that's what pubs deliver. And being, you know, one of Australia's most experienced restaurateurs, what's your advice to the younger sort of players and even the young workers that could be quite disillusioned by what's going on and questioning their role in the industry and future? Yeah, I, I guess um, in terms of like young hospitality people wanting to do their own thing, I think possibly there might be some good out of this because like there was, you know, I think there'll be more um, opportunities of creating a, a venue that you don't need a huge fit out. You can do your own thing. Um, and there's certainly still people doing that like um, – uh, particularly out in regional areas, is, is still a, a pretty viable option of opening your own little little restaurant and doing your own thing. And I, I think that's – I remember probably it's been about eight years ago or so when all the big restaurant chains were starting to really ramp up – not chains, sorry, restaurant groups were starting to ramp up. And there's always talk about, you know, that, that will be the future of the restaurant industry, the, the big groups. And it's certainly it's a key part of it now, but also I think there's been a real resurgence of those small independent operators, and and it's those operators that really create the the diversity and the interest in the food scene. So hopefully we'll see more of that. Um, but yeah, as long as landlords come to the party as well, because I think like every other business, people are probably going to be taking a little bit less after this. So. Hopefully, landlords accept that as well. A lot of these small operators that you talk about, um, particularly like yourself, have a real connection with producers. Uh, can you give us an idea of the impact of the on the producers that you deal with? Um, yeah, like it's kind of interesting. Those producers that were solely um, just um, selling just to restaurants are obviously hugely impacted, and and they're in pretty dire situation but just talking to someone yesterday or this morning actually and he's saying in terms of uh, farming prices in terms of milk prices lamb it, it's all at a very high level it's at the highest it's been in ages so it's actually if you're a it's a pretty good time to be uh, farming in terms of that sort of mass farming like everything's uh, meat prices are pretty good, well, they're very good at the moment, um, and a lot of it's apparently driven from the US because there's a real shortage of of meat over there, particularly pork products from the swine flu and stuff. But um, so yeah, there's that mix of the primary producers are, are doing pretty well at the moment in terms of prices, but then those those specialist 
farmers who are, are particularly concentrated on the um, the whole the retail uh, the restaurant market are really struggling, and it's really hard to transition from being a wholesale supplier to a, to being a retailer, and, and lucky all the wine distributors as well are having are finding that same issue. All those guys who sold wine just to restaurants are now really, I mean, it's really hard to tap into that retail market to get the connections to sell your stuff retail. So, yeah, a bit of a mixed bag in terms of the producers. What can people do to help? Um, yeah, probably stop buying at Dan Murphy's in terms of booze and, and look at your local suppliers. Like we're selling a little bit of wine on our, our produce store but we're deliberately not selling any local wine because I think people should go directly to the producers to buy, be buying their wine locally. Um, and, yeah, just look at the small operators, particularly the smaller, like the smaller shops. You know, if you, if you can buy your fruit and veg from a small shop, don't buy it from the supermarket. The supermarkets will be all right no matter what, you know. They're not going to let them fail, so... It's important to look after the small producer, the small um, sellers. One of the things that you've mentioned a couple of times is the current climate that we have, that we've sort of got over the fear and the anxiety, and we're kind of in this period of unknown and uncertainty, but it's actually we're eating well, we're drinking well, everyone's sort of waiting for what's next. You know, what What's the opportunity in the next couple of months while we're in this transition period for operators um, leading into the future of the hospitality industry? Uh, I think it is at the moment just a matter of, like, I, I can't speak for everybody else, but essentially um, in terms of of business, of actually taking money for what we're doing, we're kind of just really treading water, not even that. We're just doing it just the process of doing it rather than actually trying to make money. Um, I actually always wondered what I'd ever, if I ever stopped cooking in a commercial kitchen, would I pot around at home doing ferments and making bread and stuff like that? Turns out, yeah, I would, but I, I probably wouldn't do it in a domestic kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all I've really been doing is just hanging out in my commercial kitchen, just making bread and, and you know, doing stuff that value adds a little bit, but just to keep busy more than anything. Um, I, will, I am getting a bit worried I might get the end of this crisis and not have it had any uh, do-nothing time, but um, I think it's probably important to try and set a bit of time aside just to think about what you want to do with your business when you reopen because, like, it is a bit of a blank slate. You can really do whatever you want. It's really hard when your business is running think, okay, I'm going to change my menu format completely and do something else completely different. It's really hard to do that whilst, you know, you're in full flight. So having this opportunity to really start from scratch and do whatever you want. And that's what's great about small restaurant model is that really it's your restaurant. You can do what you want with it, um, whether it's commercially successful is, is another thing, but it's really up to you what you think you want to do with it. So I think having time to do that is really a, quite a gift, really. Um, and, well, I'm riding my bike more, which is great. And, yeah, I think just finding time to just... Because uh, 
you're never going to get this again. <laughs> if you own a restaurant, you're never going to have this opportunity again. So um, just trying to find time to think about what what you want out of your restaurant. And like for me personally, I'm thinking like I've, I've always done like a set menu and a la carte because I, I, I don't like eating set menus myself all the time. I quite like doing a la carte, but a la carte's an expensive option for any restaurant prep. It's always there's always more wastage, there's more more labour involved and um, you know it's an expensive or more expensive um, option for restaurant menus. So we've got to think about what we want to do when we're open. Do we do still do any sort of a la carte options or we just do a really simple set menu. I don't know if I want to sit down for three hours having a meal I don't know, but um, so I still like creating a, a, I think the most important thing for restaurants when we open is, is nailing that social side of things, that atmosphere, that, that camaraderie and generosity. That's what people will be really looking for. I think. What are you missing most at the moment with the restaurant being closed? Obviously, yeah, just, I mean, like I said, the work, work kind of does define you. I know. Some people might think that's a bit weird, but I think, you know, it's, it's what I've been doing for so many years. And, I, you know, people still ask me, I'm, I'm not a young chef, and you know, do I still enjoy cooking? If I didn't, I would be pretty stupid to be still doing it. But And it's obviously, it's just not about cooking as well. It's just all the interaction and the, the customers, uh, some great customers, it's always good to see them. And, you know, chefs are pretty uh, needy creatures. We need our... Our um, re, re, ego reinforced every now and then. So, yeah, missing that, sure. Mate, it's always good to talk. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and perceptions and um, keep in touch and let us know how you track. No problem. And thank, thanks to you for, for doing this stuff. And, and, like, there's a number of people in the food media who really have stepped up in these times and really making a, a big effort to support the community and, yeah, it's very appreciated. Thanks, mate. Talk soon, hey? Cheers. Bye. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospital community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Stay safe, isolate and be well. <laughs>